Welcome to the Bible for My Ordinary Life podcast. My name is Alicia Parker, and I'll be your host. Now, I live a pretty ordinary life, but I really enjoy studying and teaching the Bible. If you're interested in what the Bible really means and how it can be applied to your everyday, perhaps ordinary life, then this podcast is for you. You see, I believe the Bible is more than just a collection of interesting stories. It's God's communication to humankind. It's a revelation about who he is and how we fit into the story he is telling. Even if we feel like our personal story is a little bit ordinary. The Bible includes 66 individual books, but with a unifying theme, God desires a relationship with us. So let's open the pages of God's Word together and discover what extraordinary truths He has for our lives. Hey everyone, thanks for being part of today's podcast. We are going to be talking about mysteries today. Now, when I was a kid, I loved to read. Well, who am I kidding? I still love to read. But I would go to the library and pick out no less than 15 books to read during the three-week checkout period. And many of those books would be mysteries. I especially love the Hardy Boys and the Nancy Drew series. At the end of every one of those mystery novels, the mystery is solved. And there's something so satisfying about figuring it all out. Something about resolving a conflict and having a neat and tidy ending. But life doesn't always turn out as neat and tidy as the mystery novels I used to read. In fact, it's far more often messy and confusing. Sometimes we can even find ourselves really questioning God and the why behind the mess. Life can be a mystery, but not all aspects of God remain a mystery. The Bible actually refers to several mysteries that God has chosen to reveal to us. And today, we are going to focus on one in particular. We're just beginning Ephesians chapter 3. In our last episode, we talked about the spiritual and physical walls that separated the Jews from the Gentiles. Paul, our author, introduced a very radical concept that Jews and Gentiles were actually one spiritual body and should live in unity, sharing the same citizenship rights. And although Jesus had reached out to non-Jews in his ministry time, the Jews still had a deeply ingrained cultural mindset that they were special and different and even better than anyone not of Jewish heritage. We ended what we call chapter 2 with Paul saying that the Jews and Gentiles are being built together into a whole building that is a temple for the Lord and a dwelling place. And at this point, we've separated the next verse and called it chapter 3. But don't forget, we're reading a letter he wrote to a church, which was circulated to other churches. There were no divisions of chapters and verses in the original document. So we should read this like we're reading a personal correspondence written by one person to a group of believers. Try to imagine Paul writing these words or possibly dictating these words to someone who did the actual writing. The next thing Paul says is, for this reason. And then he interrupts his line of thought with what we call verses 1 through 13. If we skip ahead to verse 14, he says, for this reason again. And so it seems as if he's returning to the same line of thinking he started in with this section. In verse 14, he goes into a prayer on behalf of the church. It's a beautiful prayer and one we will get into in a future podcast. But today, we'll focus on these verses that seem to be an interruption in his thought line. Now, keep in mind, I very much believe that 
the Bible is God's inspired word. There is not a word out of place or a thought that isn't supposed to be there. So when I say that there seems to be an interruption into what Paul is saying, I don't want to communicate that Paul wrote something God didn't intend. That's not it at all. I just want us to always be aware of the style of writing and the original audience and the human stylistic choices that the Spirit allowed for in the authoring of the Bible. Every one of these words are inspired by God. But what we see is first, Paul starts a statement with, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, and then he pauses in his writing and goes into an explanation of who he is and why they should even be listening to him. In my Bible, verse 1 has a composition clue that supports what I just said. Composition clues are, well, clues that we look for in the text or the composition to help us understand the author's intent. In this case, we see the clue of punctuation. Right after he says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, there is a dash. A dash is a specific punctuation mark that's used to show a pause in a phrase, an interruption. And often what follows a dash is a further explanation or clarification of what was just said. And that is exactly what we see Paul doing here. He is going to expound on who he is and his role in sharing this truth with them. So, he begins this interruption with a question. He asks them, You have heard, haven't you, about the administration of God's grace that he gave to me for you? This question is a bit rhetorical. He knows they've likely heard of his testimony. Let's recap just to refresh ourselves on Paul's journey to this point. Paul grew up as a model Jew. He was trained by the very best and was on his way to power and prestige in the Jewish social circles. After the resurrection, Jesus' followers were growing in number, and Paul began actively seeking to kill or to have them killed. He was intently focused on eradicating Christ's gospel message, which at the time he perceived to be heresy. But then... God got a hold of him. He literally blinded Paul for three days. His name at that time was actually Saul. So during that time, God changed his name from Saul to Paul and gave him specific directions to spread the very gospel he'd been trying to eliminate. Paul literally did a 180 degree turn. And after a few years of quiet study and discipleship, Paul began a ministry specifically for the Gentiles. So when Paul asked the question, You have heard, haven't you, about the administration of God's grace that he gave to me for you? He's saying, I know you know my story. God called me to serve you. He stopped me cold in my murderous tracks, blinded me, and then gave me a vision of bringing the gospel to others. Most likely his audience knew all this, but he didn't want them to forget that his position was one given to him by God's grace. Let's pick up in verse 3 and read what he says next. I'm reading today from the English Standard Version. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. 
Three times in these verses, Paul uses the word mystery. Another good composition clue that we like to use when studying the Bible is looking for repeated words. When an author repeats words, that means it's usually something to pay close attention to. I open this podcast up by talking about reading good mystery books. A mystery is something that is unknown, and typically the objective is to make it known. And in Greek, this word can also mean secret. It can mean that in English as well. It's the same idea. Do you remember the childhood allure of secrets? My friends and I would make up secrets and then choose to tell one friend but not the other. Knowing a secret would give us a sense of power. And then if we were the chosen one to learn the secret from the secret keeper, oh, the joy, we were in the know. Now, most of those times, those secrets were silly things we made up. They weren't really secrets. Sometimes we keep secrets because we want to surprise someone with something awesome, like a surprise birthday party or a surprise gift. And other times we keep secrets because the secret is something terrible and we don't want to share. And if we did, we would be ashamed if people knew the secret. So the idea of a secret might not bring up good feelings in you, but with God, all secrets that he has and makes known to us are things that bring us joy. And in this context, God is the secret keeper, and Paul is telling his audience that the secret is out. The mystery is being made known. And what is the big secret? What mystery are we getting to unravel? Gentiles are equal with Jews. In fact, Paul lists three things that Jews and Gentiles share. They are co-heirs, they are members of the same body, they are partners in the promise of the gospel. Now, we touched on this in our last episode. Paul has alluded to this in chapter 2, verses 14 through 22. This teaching was completely radical for this audience. It was indeed a secret for many generations. All through the Old Testament, God had called out the Jews. They were separate. They were chosen by God from among all the possible nations. And now Paul is saying that he has insight into the mystery of Christ, and all of this has changed. So his Gentile audience is no doubt processing this information with the awe and wonder you would expect. If you'd believed something about yourself for your whole life, and then suddenly you were told a secret that changed it all? So since we're not the original audience, and the impact of these words doesn't probably have the power that the first audience experienced, try to imagine what this would be like if today you found out that you were actually a direct descendant of a royal family and because of that you had access to immeasurable wealth for the rest of your life and your descendants that news would be overwhelming and amazing these believers had lived thinking they were second-class christians but paul is saying no Not only are you not second class, it doesn't even exist. There is no second class. You are all part of the only class. You are a co-heir. A co-heir shares the inheritance equally. You are members of the same body and partners in the promise through Christ. This was big. And maybe this is big for you. 
Maybe you felt judged and sidelined by other believers. Or maybe you've wondered if there's a secret you don't know, but others seem to be in the know. Or maybe you hold a secret in your heart that you feel if people knew would cause you to be ostracized. Listen carefully to the words of Paul. Through the gospel, the Gentiles are fellow heirs, fellow members of the body, and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus. The church of Jesus is supposed to be a unified body of believers. Now, if you have found it to be something else, please don't give up on it. People do and say things that are hurtful and cause division, but God intends for us to be unified. God's secret, which was revealed in Christ Jesus and articulated here by Paul, is that all people, Jew or Gentile, are equally loved and have access to the same citizenship in God's family. Even if your church experience has been nothing but positive, this is still really good news. Let's keep going with Paul's thoughts here. I'm starting back up in verse 7. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. In these verses, Paul takes a few minutes to establish the authority God gave him. He's very humble in explaining why he has the authority he has. Let's take a look at this together and see how it unfolds. The first phrase is him establishing that he was made a minister of this gospel. This gospel, or good news, of the unity of Gentiles and Jews was Paul's special ministry given to him by God. When we read about Paul's conversion in Acts 9, there is a conversation the Lord has with a man named Ananias. He tells Ananias to go and to find Saul, who's been blinded, and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Now, Ananias pushes back a little bit and says something like, But Lord, this man kills Jesus' followers. Are you sure you want me to go touch him? And then in verse 15, the Lord says, Go. For this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to the Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. So, it's well established that Paul has a special calling to share the gospel with Gentiles. But let's return to this verse and see what Paul says about the special calling. Verse 7. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. Paul establishes that this is his ministry, but it was given to him by God's power, not his own credentials. It wasn't handed down as something his dad did and then pass it on to Junior. He wasn't next in line for a promotion. He didn't earn it by being at the top of his class. No, God physically blinded him and called him from a life of sin to a life of service. Paul is giving God the credit and the glory. And he further qualifies himself with verse 8 by saying, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. 
This is not false humility. This is not Paul saying with a tongue in cheek, oh, I'm just the worst, but God used me. No, he truly recognizes he was the least. He was killing those who followed Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 9, Paul says something very similar to that church. He says, For I am the least of the apostles, not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. So Paul vividly remembers who he was and that only by God's grace does he have the privilege of preaching the good news to the Gentiles. And what is he preaching? He says he is preaching to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now, these aren't material riches. God's plan is not to reward us with stuff for our faith. Remember, throughout Jesus's ministry, he spent a good part of it camping and, as we would say, couch surfing. He was not rich. He was practically homeless. His riches are spiritual riches. They are things like peace and joy, contentment, forgiveness, love, And the word used that's translated unsearchable could also mean unfathomable. These riches are so vast that they are beyond our human comprehension. So Paul has been given grace to preach to the Gentiles about these unfathomable riches, the mystery of unity among Jews and Gentiles. And then he says he is to bring light to all about the administration of this mystery. And verse 10, he gives the reason why. We know this because of a phrase we look for in our composition clues. Verse 10 says the words, so that. We've talked about this in prior podcasts. If you'll remember, phrases like so that and because tip us off that the author is linking two things in a cause and effect relationship. Paul is making all of this known for this effect. So that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. This verse makes me pause. So that through the church, God's manifold wisdom would be made known to the heavenlies? We get tunnel vision, or at least I do, about my own existence. I have my eyes focused on my life, my interactions, my past, my present, my future, and I often forget that I am one person in the great expanse of time that beyond my human senses, there are so many things I cannot perceive. There are spiritual forces at work all around us. And God's mystery is also being made known in the heavens through us, the church. And my version describes his wisdom as manifold. Another word that could be used here is multifaceted. God's wisdom is so far beyond our wisdom. It is so immense, unfathomable, and multifaceted that even the spiritual beings outside of our perceptions are learning and growing when God reveals things. Now, Jesus' life on earth, his death and his resurrection was a huge pivot and in the expanse of time. The shift from God calling one specific nation to be set apart to God offering grace and love and equal inheritance to anyone was a massive one. But it wasn't an afterthought or an impulsive decision. No. 
No, verse 11 says, This was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. God has always had a plan to invite both Jews and Gentiles into his family. He's always had a plan through all eternity that Jesus would be the turning point. And then Paul makes this radical statement in verse 12. In whom, and he's referring to Jesus, we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Now, if you've grown up in church like I have, you might take it for granted that you can bow your head at any time and utter a prayer. You can pray while driving, just keep your eyes open, or right before you take a test, or whenever. But this was not the case up until Jesus came. There were rules around accessing God, and much of it came with physical sacrifices like doves and goats and cows. It was bloody and stinky, and it cost if you grew up as a first century Jew, you didn't just bow your head and talk to God. You didn't even utter his name because it was so holy. Jews wouldn't even say it aloud or write it out with the vowels. So for them to think they have boldness to access with confidence God himself through faith in Jesus, this was huge. Let's pause and step back for a 30,000-foot view of what we've talked about today. We started off recognizing that Paul is about to explain how he prays for his audience, but he interrupts himself to clarify a few things. And before he explains the prayer, he tells them that there's a mystery. Then he explains that the mystery has been revealed through him, and he tells them the mystery, and then reinforces that he humbly recognizes it's fully God's grace that even allows him to know and share this mystery. But this is all part of God's much larger plan. And that Jesus was always going to be the pivoting point where things changed. In fact, they've changed so much that we can now come boldly and confidently to him through our faith. He says one more sentence in verse 13 before returning to his original prayer. He tells them to not lose heart for his suffering because it's for their glory. So I want to end today with this sentiment. We can now come boldly and confidently to God through our prayers. God didn't open up access to him. He didn't send his son to provide salvation for us. He didn't let the secret out about his intentions to have a relationship with us for us to be afraid or timid in our conversations with him. No. Here's how I think this mystery unfolds. God wants a relationship with you. He wants to hear from you. He wants you to hear from him. He wants you to pray bold things. He wants to do bold things for you. We are not here to plod through this life wondering what it's all about, or wondering if there's some big cosmic secret we just don't understand. The mystery has been revealed. God is inviting all people into a relationship with him. So wherever you are on that journey, that journey of having a relationship with God, can I encourage you today? Be bold and confident in your prayers. 
You have direct access to the God of this universe. And you've been a part of his plan since before eternity. Thank you so very much for taking the time to listen to today's episode of the Bible for the Ordinary Life. My name is Alicia Parker. I hope you learned something and our time together encouraged your personal relationship with God. Be sure to check out my companion website at www.bibleforteordinarylife.com or connect with me on Instagram at Bible for the Ordinary Life.